0: do my very best to get this job that i so crave hello welcome to another episode of fan zone debate uh you know last week was crazy shit was wild the multiverse took over i don't know what happened it was it was nuts but uh it made me think man if the multiverse can get a different intro and outro i think i can finally do it here in the regular verse so uh (laughs) Very excited about this match. We got a good matchup for you. We got Caleb Boatman who has just been, you know, dying to play. Uh, it's not like th- this was the matchup he was supposed to get always. This is always what was going to happen for Caleb. Nothing happened that uh, would have made this any different, but uh, he's playing Joe Harrison. So both of these guys are uh, pretty good debaters. Um, haven't had a win in a minute, but they're both looking to get a win on the record uh, in this title picture. So, uh, Brian, you are here. How are you doing, sir? And uh, what do you think about the matchup?
1: Uh, I am doing just great, uh, despite the wall color. I don't think Kirk's just on the other side of the room for me. Um, but, <laughs> hey, how are you doing, Kirk? Uh, no, it's, I'm, I'm glad to be here. It's going to be fun. Uh, Caleb and, and Joe, really nice guys, both of them. I've definitely seen him play trivia. I've seen, I think I've seen them both to debate at least one time, too. So it'll, it'll be fun to see how this goes. And Kirk, current Fan Zone debate champion,
0: you are here to judge this one. How are you doing, sir?
2: I'm doing all right. Uh, Springs finally arrived here in southwestern Pennsylvania. And I was like, hey, I'm going to uh, judge this match. I'll sit outside and do it. And I was going to all sit up. And then my neighbor brought on his lawnmower. So <laughs> screwed those plans up. Uh, so I'm back inside uh, staring Brian in the face across the room here. Uh, but it should be fun.
0: All right, well, let's bring in our players. We'll start with the lower-ranked player, Joe. Joe, welcome. The last time we saw you, you were playing Ryan O'Regan uh, in a, a very close match uh, in the last, uh, or two title pictures ago? Two title pictures ago. And uh, But it was a very close match. It was a fun match to be a part of, and uh, you're back now to play Caleb. Um,
3: yeah. Feeling okay. I'm excited to play Caleb, but he's a uh, great debater great trivia player great all-around guy so i'm just excited to ha- uh, be in this match and just have some fun with it
0: awesome all right well let's bring in caleb caleb the last time we saw you it has been a minute not multiverse wise uh because uh we've seen you in other multiverses playing in teams and then playing in matches where we're talking about paul giamatti or something and helicopters and crazy shit uh but the last i i think correct me if i'm wrong caleb the last time we saw you was when you played nick tuig in the tournament yes. last year uh mm-hmm. so it's been a while uh and then previous to that the last win you got was against nazario who actually ended up challenging for the belt uh later. i don't remember
4: playing nazario if i'm that was
0: honest. round one of the tournament and then uh, I do not remember that.
4: I I don't I believe you that it happened, yeah. but I don't I just do not remember that whatsoever.
0: You've blocked it out of your memory because it was too beautiful of an evening to uh to uh-huh. keep up there. You can't have that. Anyway, you're playing Joe. How are you feeling?
4: Cool. I miss Joe. I used to I feel like I used to see Joe way more and now it's like I I never see him. I miss Joe. Joe's a cool dude.
0: Awesome. I agree. So uh, let's get into the match. Here's how this is going to work. Uh, the players drafted categories, and uh, then I gave them some questions based on those categories, and they are going to debate them tonight before our very souls. So uh, each player will get a one-minute opening, followed by five-minute free form, followed by a one-minute closing. At the end of the debate, Kirk, Brian, and I will write on our handy-dandy boards who we think won the point. Best two out of three points or votes wins the point. And first person to three points wins the match. If uh, we are tied coming out of the prep questions, of which there are four, we will go to a bonus question to decide the match. So, uh, gentlemen, do you have any questions as we get into it? No. All right, let's do this thing. All right, we are going to kick it off right away with the category of comedy. This was drafted by Mr. Boatman. The question is what 1960s comedy best deserves a remake? So Caleb, you drafted this. You are going to get to go first. You have one minute to start your argument when you start talking.
4: What film should be remade? right? That, that's the question, right? Is do you want to remake you know, a film that is already great? Or do you want to remake a real something that's really good but has a glaring flaw that you can fix that flaw? And that's why I'm going with let's remake Breakfast at Tiffany's. Because we all know the big problem with Breakfast at Tiffany's. And it's Mickey Rooney. It genuinely, I, I've heard pretty much everyone say this would be a really good movie with the exception of Mickey Rooney's character is kind of racist and really not kind of really racist and uncomfortable and also just not funny and just completely takes you out of the movie and ruins it. Let's get rid of that and fix that, like, let's improve a great movie and make it incredible,
0: okay. Um, So we'll move over to Joe. Joe, you now have one minute to open your argument when you start talking. So when I was going through my head on what movie deserves a good remake...
3: I took a little bit of risk, and I was like, let's do a movie that had already gotten a remake, but because of that, it even deserves another one even more. I'm going with 1963's The Pink Panther. It's a really good comedy, but it can be improved upon, and when they tried to do it with Steve Martin in the 2000s, it didn't work. So it deserves another remake because it can be even better, and it shows that we can do more with it than what we got in the 2000s, and the Pink Panther, while it has a very interesting take and an interesting plot, I think there's a lot more you can do with comedic sensibilities, timing, put more twist add a little bit, elevate the story a little bit more, create more comedic timing, create more of a mystery with it. And you can do that with a lot of interesting elements that you can do with that while still keeping the core of the Pink Panther at its presence. And that's why the Pink Panther deserves a remake the most.
0: Okay, all right, gentlemen, you have five minutes free freeform. Don't talk over each other. Or I'll beat you with a stick, and uh, I'll be back in at one minute to give you a warning.
4: There's no direct flaw in the Pink Panther that says, oh, yes, this deserves a remake. I have a direct flaw in Breakfast at Tiffany's, and that's Mickey Rooney. That's the thing you're saying. Oh, you can do this. And this? You don't need to do that stuff. The Pink Panther's already there.
3: There's a direct flaw in Breakfast at Tiffany's. Well, there is a direct flaw of breakfast at Tiffany's. You can always, you can always. Just hate Breakfast at Tiffany's as is and say, Yes, this was a piece in the cultural zeitgeist at the time where we made a glaring mistake. Let's not do that again. And you can address the flaw of Breakfast at Tiffany's without having to remake it. With the Pink Panther, it's a story that you can remake and you can elevate upon, but without just taking. You're saying that all you need to do to take is to take away one element at Breakfast at Tiffany's to make it good. That doesn't really say it deserves a remake. That just, to deserve a remake, you need to be able to do something more with the story and something that elevates it rather than just take away an aspect of it and say okay now it's it's good as is that's not really deserving of a remake
4: i mean if you're remaking a film you don't want to remake something that's already good because all you're doing is just wrecking it again they tried it with steve martin that's not good at the end of the day breakfast at tiffany's We are taking something that's flawed. And we can also do things to elevate it. We can change the relationship with Paul because that doesn't necessarily work either. There's different things that you can change will still keep me good. Again, you still haven't given me a main flaw in the Pink Panther that needs changing. Um, And, again, you're saying, oh, it still worked. No, it doesn't. If you go back and you watch Breakfast at Tiffany's, it is so uncomfortable and so hard to watch, and it takes you out of the movie. I've seen multiple people try to watch Breakfast at Tiffany's, and they say, this just takes me out of the movie. It actively ruins the movie.
3: While you can say it takes you out of the movie, it also can show you an insight into the filmmaking process and what and how, like, during that time it can be problematic. It's a part of film history for a reason. And yes, we can address the cultural issues of, of Breakfast at Tiffany's without remaking it. When you're going to remake The Pink Panther, it's just updating the story and creating modern sensibilities for it. And you and it deserves it more because it proves that you there's a shot to remake it and do better than we did with the 2000s. With Breakfast at Tiffany's, I think it's more if we examine it and can have discussions around the film. If you remake it, you pretty much are going to take away those chances to have the discussions around it and the problematics of it and talk about it.
4: We're not, no, because the film still exists. We're not saying, oh, let's take the film out of existence. We're not doing that because the film still exists. You can still watch the original. We're or just giving you... A way to watch it and experience it and elevate and change it while not having to deal with, the, with that character. And I think that is a big improvement. Again, you have not given me anything that says the Pink Panther deserves to be remade because there's no flaw in the Pink Panther or nothing wrong with it. You're just saying let's update it to update it. That's how bad remakes happen, is let's just update it because you can update the story. Like, no, the Pink Panther is great as it is. Why try to wreck a movie that doesn't have any specific flaws?
3: It's not going to wreck the movie by updating it. It's going to give a chance to like have people view it in a modern light. And with 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 your with your cre- essentially creating a shot for shot remake with with Breakfast at Tiffany's except replacing the character. It's going to be what happened with Psycho when they tried to remake another movie from the 60s and said, let's just do it like the same, but but you're only changing one aspect of the movie and that's not really what you're going to do with like how a remake should be. Remake. I-
4: I've never said this should be a shot-for-shot remake. As I even said, you can change some of the aspects with the character of Paul. You can change other things. You can update and you can elevate. Ultimately, I'm just saying that's the one glaring flaw that we can take out and get rid of that would immediately improve Breakfast at Tiffany's, and everyone would agree that would improve Breakfast at Tiffany's. Again, you're not giving me anything for Pink Panther. You're saying... Oh yeah, like you're saying, let's update it to update it. Basically, there is no actual reason you are giving me anything wrong with the Pink Panther. You are giving me that we should fix. You're not giving me anything on Pink Panther except let's just do it to do it.
3: So I think what we're what we need to do with the Pink Panther is with a lot of it we have a lot of bumbling with the detective clouseau and it's more of a physical comedy i think with making it a mystery and having it be more of a of a cerebral comedy make it more dialogue have it be looking through the processes and then have it be have professor clouseau still have detective clouseau still have those comedic sensibilities of physical comedy but having also a mental aspect of it can make the remake even better you're just saying that let's take out like take out one thing and just pretty much have it be the same and that's really like not deserving uh, of a remake
0: of a remake strike it from the record. uh Joe you get to close first. you have one minute when you start talking.
3: While there is that glaring issue in Breakfast Activities, it's still, you can still watch it and it, it's going to be a good movie with the, and, and just remaking it by taking out that negative element really doesn't say it deserves a remake. With the Pink Panther, it deserves a remake because it's a story that can be retold and can be updated. And while you can still have those comedic sensibilities of the physical comedy aspects of it, you can make it more cerebral. You can have more of a sharp wit to it and you can do that. And it deserves to be updated and retold. And it's a story with Breakfast Activities, we it can exist in its time capsule, exist as a piece, of americana to just talk about and just be like why did we ever let this happen it doesn't deserve to be because but when you're going it doesn't deserve a remake just because of one glaring issue and it. It, something to deserve a remake it needs to be a story that needs to be retold in a different version that's not just changing one aspect and you can say what you want about the paul character about the paul character but mickey rooney is the only really area that you are focusing on and i will concede the rest of my time
0: okay Uh, I'll move over to Boatman for his one minute closing. You have one minute when you start talking.
4: The reason I mainly focused on Mickey Bruni is because it's so obviously bad that yes, let's get rid of the thing that makes Breakfast at Tiffany's so hard to watch. That doesn't mean that we still can't talk about the the issues in Dynamics, because again, the original film still exists, but there are other things we can elevate and update to it. With Pink Panther, there's nothing wrong with it. Why are we touching something that there's nothing wrong with? And Pink Panther already is a cerebral comedy. What are we talking about? There's a lot of like wordplay and dialogue in there. And I, I just feel like, Pink Panther is something we don't need to touch. It's great as it is. We don't need to mess with it. Why are we messing with it? Joe has not given us anything, any type of this doesn't work, this doesn't work, he hasn't pointed out anything specific about the Pink Panther. I've given you multiple examples on Breakfast at Tiffany's and why. Let's make a watchable version of Breakfast at Tiffany's.
0: Okay. Um, I will bring in L judges. You good, Kirk? Yeah, I'm good. Okay, I'll go first. Um, I thought this was a very uh, clear cut example of a debate where somebody opens and they, like, lay the groundwork of what the fight is going to be, and their opponent just kind of follows suit and um, can't really catch up at all. And So I gave my point to Caleb. I thought that just, like, from the get-go, he was able to define what he thinks a remake should, why a remake for Breakfast at Tiffany should be a thing. And Joe's main uh, argument against it Uh, was the whole, like, preserving cinema thing. And I thought Boatman very handedly said, we're not getting rid of the original breakfast activities. You can still use that as an example of uh, crappy stuff that was going on in the 60s. Uh, So I gave it to Boatman. Uh, Kirk, you go next.
2: Yeah, um, this was a frustrating fight because, like you said, Boatman came out and said, my movie has a flaw. What's your movie's flaw go? and i don't think that's necessarily the best way to 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 address this but joe let him take it that way and and went down that road and he kept saying give me something give me something joe came on at the end and tried to do something um you know give him a little something as to why his movie gets made but i think it is closing boatman shot that down well enough that um boatman controlled the fight so i gave it to him
0: okay so um brian your vote doesn't count but where would you have gone
1: Uh, Yeah, I voted for Caleb as well. Um, I just thought, like you said, from the beginning, he kind of laid out why his film needs to be remade. Uh, The main one being Rooney, and they gave some other specific examples. Joe never really got into specifics. It was a lot of just general talk about updating, you know, the mystery things like that. Um, And then, as Caleb said, uh, his main argument seemed to be updating it to update it. And I liked when he said that's how bad remakes happen. So, yeah, I voted for Caleb. Okay
0: so caleb wins the first point um but we got a lot of questions left so let's get into the next question which was drafted by joe in the category of disney the question is what disney movie from 1970 to 1988 is the worst uh those were the parameters given so hey who am i to say no uh joe well Actually, I'm the showrunner, so I am the
1: one who can say no. <laughs>
0: <But> <laughs> We're a lawless country here in fan zone debate. All right, Joe, uh, you get to go first. You have one minute to open your argument when you start talking.
3: So I went with the Aristocats from 1970. The reason I went with the Aristocats is when I think of worst Disney movies, I think that the worst thing a movie can really be is boring or forgettable. And the Aristocats is both of those. When I was going through uh, movies during this time frame and I looked at them and I was just like, wow, I can remember most of these movies except for the Aristocats. It's just very forgettable, very bland, nothing really about it sticks out as a memorable Disney moment. When you think about Disney movies, Disney movies always have something memorable about them. And there's really not that much in the Aristocats other than there's the whole like, oh, she's giving her fortune to the cats. And then the butler hates that, which is very reasonable. Why would the old lady give her fortune to animals instead of, you know, this human being who has helped take care of her for her most of her life. And it's just the worst because not only does the framing device of it make it is very weird and discombobulated. It's also just not memorable other than it's framing device at all.
0: Okay. Um, we'll go over to Boatman. Boatman, you have one minute to open your argument when you start talking.
4: What is bad, right? I think there are two types of bad, right? There's the boring, forgettable, bland type of bad. And then there's also the annoying, obnoxious, barely watchable bad. But what if a movie was both? The Black Cauldron absolutely fits both of those parameters. Because on the boring, bland, bad side... It's a bunch of forgettable fantasy mumbo-jumbo that out ultimately goes nowhere with bland characters, things you've seen a million times before. And on the annoying level, shall I introduce you to Taryn and Gurgi? These are two of the most annoying, obnoxious Disney characters of all time. Taryn is whiny to the thousandth percentile, and Gurgi has one of the most obnoxious voices you will ever hear from a character.
0: Time. Okay. Uh, Aristocats versus the Black Cauldron. Five minutes when one of you starts talking.
4: I'm going to push back on you saying that there's not much memorable in uh, the Aristocats. I think, obviously, Everybody Wants to Be a Cat is a super memorable song. O'Malley, I think, is actually a really fun, cool character. I like all three of the kids. I think all of O'Malley's friends, Scat Cat, is like a lot of fun. I, I think that the Aristocats has a lot more than you're giving it credit for.
3: And I can say the same thing about the Black Cauldron. The Black Cauldron has one of the most memorable Disney villains, being the Horned King. The Horned King is creepy, and he's iconic, and just the Black Cauldron itself, the Cauldron itself is is very memorable, and it's stuck with me all this time throughout the years. If it tells you anything about how forgettable the Aristocats was, I forgot that Everybody Wants to Be a Cat was from the Aristocats until I rewatched it, and that's when I remembered, oh, this song is from this movie. That is how forgettable the Aristocats is. I think that's just on
4: you not knowing that everybody wants to be a cat. It's from the Aristocats, buddy. I, I think very famously that song is from this movie. Uh, so, let, uh, But also, let's take your point of what is great about the Black Cauldron. The Horn King is iconic. No, he isn't. No one remembers the. Well, have you ever heard people talk about the Horn King? Nobody talks about the Horn King. The Horn King does nothing, there's ultimately nothing. That you can give me, that the Horned King does. Like I guess it's a a design. It's an, even not that it's just a cloak. It's not even that interesting of a design. Ultimate and the cauldron. What about the
3: cauldron? You're just saying the cauldron's good. What about the cauldron? Being able to look through the cauldron and seeing the prophecies and the destinies and the way it's animated and the way the art style for the Black Cauldron as a movie is very, is very just nice to look at. And the Aristocats, it's not. you When you look at the Aristocats, it's just very bland and stale. It's a very neutral color palette, and, except for a few scenes, but it's just very neutral to look at. It's a neutral tones and color palettes. But the, with the Black Cauldron having this fantasy aesthetic and this fantasy, you can at least look at the Black Cauldron and rem, and remember it for how it looks, too.
4: Ultimately, no. It looks like every generic fantasy. It looks like Rothbakshi's She's Lord of the Rings. If we're being honest, that's what it looks like. It looks like every generic fantasy. It looks like they're trying to copy Don Bluth. It just like looks like every generic fantasy thing that's going on. Also, on your point that, oh yeah, Aristocats isn't memorable... Black Cauldron clearly isn't that memorable to you because it's not even the cauldron that really shows you the future. It's the pig. Cause if you put the pig in any water that shows you the future. So ultimately not that even memorable to you from your perspective, the Aristocats, you've got the fun songs. You've got O'Malley, the alley cat who is actually having a real fun time. You've got the geese, uh, Adelaide and Amelia. You've got a lot of actually like fun characters going on in your movie. It's either all bland stuff we've seen, fantasy stuff we've seen before, or
3: it's the two most annoying characters in all of Disney. They are not Gurgi and Taron and I. And Gurgi's sacrifice at the end of the movie is one of the most heartfelt moments in a Disney movie. When he sacrifices <laughs> himself, that is like, I cried. Like, that is actually very heartfelt, his sacrifice at the end of it. And when they actually, when the Gurgi's sacrifice hits you. No, it. No, it doesn't. It's like, oh
4: wow, an annoying character died. Just because a character dies in a movie, that's not a plus. That's not that's not anything. Yes, a character died in that movie he was a very nothing boy. to actually care about Gurgi because you like, ah, oh, Gurgi wants to do this, Gurgi wants to do that. It's one of the most like annoying things ever. They're not giving us anything on Gergi, like that's you're saying. Oh, it, it's sad. No, it isn't because they didn't give us anything to actually like Gergi.
3: Yes, they did. He's a very loyal friend and a loyal sidekick. You say that One that, that there's only that. Like and if you want to go with annoying characters, Duchess is a very annoying character in the Aristocats. That's not like that. She is very annoying and very whiny for a lot of for a lot of the Aristocats, and it's also very forgettable. Like, just that's the only thing I can even remember from the Aristocats is Duchess being annoying. Like, besides that, that. that Duchess doesn't
4: whine once in the movie. I don't even know what you're talking about. Duchess doesn't whine. She's very like proper, but she doesn't like whine in any moment. I. I just don't know if you've seen the Aristocats is the problem. No, I feel I like there's no pointing much of like proper. It's a, you know, it's Ava Gabor doing the Ava Gabor thing, and she's great at it. You've got, you know, the dynamics between her and the three kids who all have, you know, the art, the singing, the piano. There's a lot of like really fun ideas going on, in the Aristocats. Your movie is either bland fantasy tropes or it's you tear and being whiny and annoying,
0: or gritty being annoying time Cool boy all right Bowman. you get close first one minute when you start talking
4: the aristocats has a lot of things going for it right you've got o'malley the alley cat who is like just this kind of fun cool chill character who ultimately you know has to kind of go from being this you know bachelor type alley cat to actually kind of changing his mode and I actually think that you know to being with Duchess and being a house cat and I actually think it's a pretty fascinating dichotomy of where his character actually goes and he's actually a really interesting cool character you've got all the kids you've got Duchess who I actually think is kind of an example of oh let's take a proper character out of their environment but she's not whiny she's just she's trying to take care of her kids but she doesn't really complain once in the movie the Black Cauldron is just Think of all the fantasy things you've seen before. Let's take secret and a little bit secret and in a little bit back. She's Lord of the Ring little bit. Jason and the Argonauts put that as just bland and then just add two annoying characters. It's awful
0: time. All right, Joe, we'll move over to you one minute to close your argument when you start talking.
3: It's not bland, it's not awful. Karen and his character arc that he goes on from being this assistant pinkeeper who you can say is whiny in the beginning, but by the end becoming and, and stepping into his own right and being able to stop the the and being able to, to learn how to accept Gurgi for who he is and all the other characters he meets and the Horned King's design is is different. You can say it's bland and awful, but it's not. And it's not take the secret of Nem. It's not take a little bit of the, the black of take a little bit of the hobbit. It is it is the black cauldron. It is itself. It is about this black cauldron that can raise that can raise on the arm of God. It's about Henwin the pig who has the oracle powers. It's all this stuff and Terran stepping into his own and finding his place in the world. While with the Aristocats, it's just a guy, guy who is upset that his, homeowner, that his former master is giving all of her uh, money to, to cats and then the cats learn to survive on their own. It's just, it's it's not that memorable. It, it just is bland and I can't remember most anything from that movie, but the Black Cauldron, I can at least remember moments of it and being memorable makes it better than that.
0: Time. Okay. All right. Let's, uh, judges, do you have your votes? I'm almost there. I'm ready. Once. I'm good. Okay. Uh Brian, we're going to start with you cuz your vote didn't count last time. Where are you voting and why? Uh
1: both definitely boring, bland, forgettable movies. I will agree with that. Um I did end up going for Caleb again. Um I think that he did a good job even just in the opening of saying how, you know, Joe made a good point of how you know, the worst kind of movie is one that's just planned and boring and forgettable. Um Caleb added that his is all those things plus it's got the more factor of being annoying things like that. Um I know Joe tried to bring up things like the Horn King being iconic, things like that, which Caleb shot down quite handily um, as well as a uh, kind of a, a kill stroke, kill strike, which was uh, when he pointed out that Joe couldn't even remember his own movie because it was so forgettable.
0: Okay. Uh, I also am going with Caleb Boatman uh, pretty much for literally every reason you said uh, the, the, the kill strike there with the not remembering the movie was a, was a, was a big one. Um, not that it matters to the argument, or not that it matters now, but this did delve into a lot of like what movie is more memorable versus like which one is just like plain bad, which I guess does have like some effect on it. Um, but yeah, I think Boatman's takedowns of uh how iconic The Horned King is and uh the Obnoxious characters, and even when Joe would then try to say, like, well, my character is obnoxious and does this, Boatman gave us pretty good examples of how that was, in fact, not true. So, uh, Kirk, your vote doesn't count on this one. Where would you have gone and why?
2: Actually, with Joe on this one, okay. um, I feel like Joe they both put a lot, but I feel like Joe was bringing up things like you know the design and the and the character arcs. and I think Boatman's a lot of Boatman's defense was like defense was just like, well, no, it's not. And I think just overall, Joe had more. Uh, it felt Joe was fighting more in the positive for his movie. I feel like Joe had more good things to say about his movie than Boatman had to say about his. Although I feel like Joe missed a huge opportunity since the last fight. Caleb wanted to remake his movie for racism. And this movie has a lot of racism problems. So if Joe would hit that, I think that would have helped him a lot. I was waiting for that to
0: happen and it did not. And you reminded me. So thank you. Uh, okay. So uh, Boatman is up to. Uh, to zero. So Joe needs to hit this question in order to stay in it. If Boatman hits this third question, he will win by knockout. So uh, the question was drafted by Caleb. It is in the category of YA. And the question is, who is the best member of the Cullen family in the Twilight series, excluding Edward? So no Edward. For this question because we all know he's the best. Uh so we're gonna start with Caleb on this one. Caleb, you have one minute when you start talking.
4: Uh I'm I'm lagging a little bit so can I leave and come back? Yes. Just because I don't want to like cut out middle of an
0: argument or something. You good what happened? Where'd you go? What was wrong
2: with him? What is that tube that Boatman keeps having in front of his computer? No idea. Me either. Boatman, what's that tube that keeps coming in front of your screen?
4: Oh, this is my phone charger.
2: Okay. I don't know if you're like on an IV or something. No, that's... I mean, <laughs> <I'm>
4: never...
0: <laughs> all right. Um, all right, Boatman, we'll get started with your...
4: Okay, uh, I'm going with Carlisle Cullen. Uh, I think Carlisle Cullen is one of the most like fascinating characters in the, the Twilight series. And anytime we really get a glimpse of him is one of the most like fascinating parts of those, like really the good things of those awful movies. Uh, Cause I, I think really, it's just a fascinating idea. This guy who is a vampire, right? Has this craving for blood and flesh and decided to go against that grain and start basically a vegetarian vampire family in the sense of, we are going to do things right, do things, you know, morally, like not, uh, you know, sucking blood at people because he feels this pain when he does it. And he's trying to teach his quote unquote kids to do things correctly, And there's a lot of like really interesting moral dilemmas
0: through Carlisle time. Okay. Uh, We'll move over to Joe. Joe, you have one minute to open your argument when you start talking.
3: I went with Alice. Alice, is, you know, with her ability to see the future and all of that, she does become the the best because not only does she use that to help those she loves and those around her, she also is a very close and caring confidant to Bella and is one of the most uh, welcoming members of the Cullen family to Bella when she first meets her and it becomes really a true friend and her loyalty to not only her family, but to Bella and her uh, sense of protectiveness for those around her is what makes Alice the the best character. Me. And we it's just who she is as a person when she's interacting with her family and her loyalty to everyone and how she makes sure that she uses her gift and her powers for the right reasons and to help those around her. I will concede the rest of my time.
0: Okay. Uh, my dog trying to eat my phone, which is also my timer. Uh, okay, five-minute free form, when one of you starts talking. Your main argument
4: for Alice is her loyalty. Carlisle also has that loyalty to Alice and his whole family. He's incredibly, or loyalty to Bella and his whole, and his whole family as a whole. He's clearly very protective of Bella. He doesn't want anything to happen to Bella, as you can even see that in the first movie. Uh, ultimately there's, you're not giving me anything that Alice has over Carlisle.
3: But the big issue with Carlisle, and you bring up this moral dilemma and how he's a morally good character, he's turning, he turns people into vampires without their consent. He like, none of these people ask for this curse to be thrust upon them. And for him to not have the moral like obligation to ask these people, if they would, if they are okay with this curse being thrust upon them right there, he can't be the best because he's taking away a sense of agency from these people that he claims to care about. He's created these, he has created his whole whole family on false pretenses of he's doing it to help them, but he has cursed them for eternity now
4: ultimately right we're looking at the dichotomy of moral doesn't mean i'm a moral dilemma doesn't always mean that the character is 100% right but Carlisle's doing what he thinks is right and that's what makes it so interesting is but he clearly isn't sure like he as you see when he talks about turning edward he is kind of conflicted of am i doing the right thing but if i don't he's edward's just never going to get to really experience life at all whatsoever and that's the interesting dichotomy that's what actually makes it
3: interesting and is complex but it's not interesting and complex because he doesn't even get to experience the full life because he is now forever stuck as a 17 year old having to hide this horrible secret that he never wanted in the first place. Carl. That's what Carlo has done to these people. He has given them a curse and has taken away any sense of normalcy from them. You can say he saved their lives all they wanted, but he didn't. He turned them into cursed beings that are never going to have any sense of normalcy. That's why he has to go out and start changing other people just so they can have more people to interact with for the sense of normalcy. That's not a good character. That doesn't make him the best. He is doing things.
4: You're making it sound like this is a character who just goes around and starts biting people. That's not what he's doing. He takes people who are on Death's Door. It's not like he's looking around for it. And he's actually weighing the options here. And he's actually doing it. Alice doesn't have... And also, I do want to just for the record, because we're getting kind of into the weeds here. The question is not most moral character or you know, what character would you most want as your best friend. It's best character, as in best character most interesting most complex and that's what we're looking at here and carlisle is clearly that alice as you even made her sound like is just kind of yep she's the friend alice is the friend she's loyal where's the interest in that where's the intrigue where's the complexity
3: there's nothing in that Well, no, the intrigue and complexity especially comes within the second movie of when she knows that edward Thinks that he's protecting Bella from being her, from being with her. She has this. She has the dilemma of: Does she tell Bella what Edward's plans truly are because she wants to help Bella, or does she let Edward do what he thinks is right because because she loves her brother? That complexity right there, and she when she has to test her loyalty, and you see that in the second movie, it, is very interesting. In that in in that the comedy that you see with her and, may, and having to decide what's right and then ultimately deciding that that Bella and that we're being together is what's right and that's how she needs to help her friends is very interesting to see, but we never really see that with Carlisle. All those we see with Carlisle is a very standard cut-and-dry patriarchal, I-will-protect-my-family character type.
4: I mean, even if we go based on your arguments from two minutes ago, that's not what we get from Carlisle. You're contradicting yourself already. Of No, we're not getting a, patri- a just a patriarchal archetype we're getting a lot of complexity and also carlisle has all the information that alice has so he has the same dilemma ultimately yeah and you even said the second movie that's a movie that alice is like barely in ultimately alice has all all the advantages you're giving for alice are also the advantages of carlisle they are also the advantages of carlisle that's the thing is
3: carlisle but carlisle it has the advantage of alice but with more complexity but we never really get to see those with Carlisle. Whenever we see Carlisle, it's more of him reacting to information that is given to him. We never see him really have this whole, be, be a whole character within himself, except through his backstory. With Alice, we get to see her being this whole complete character when it's not just reacting to the other characters and when she and when she's going on her own journeys and her own stuff within the, within the franchise, within the third, fourth, and fifth movies a, as well. But with Carlisle, we only see him as he turns people into vampires and now he has this family. That's the the only two real real moments we get with Carlisle as a character.
4: Yeah, but within those moments, we get a lot of complexity and intrigue. And as you're saying, oh, it's only reacting, all of Al's stuff is pretty much just reacting to Bella. She's not a very active character. It's all revolving around Bella and Edward.
0: Time. All right, uh, Joe, you get to close first on this one. You have one minute when you start talking. While the story does revolve around around Bella and Albert as a whole, Alice still has her own agency
3: within that story, and you don't really see that with, with Carlisle. When Carlisle is always presented, it's always as the father character. Alice is not only presented as the sister and friend character, she's also presented as this character who has these powers and, and is using them to help people out, as we see when she starts looking for other, when she starts looking for another half-vampire child within the fifth movie to show the Valtori, when she is able to show the Valtori the errors of their ways and what will happen if they keep going on this quest to destroy the Cullen family within the- fifth movie you get to see that with carlisle it's just i turn people into vampires now they're a family but we do things the right way and i used to be uh, uh, and that is it that's really all you get from him and there's not very much complexity within it other than i sometimes struggle with turning people into vampires he just didn't have to turn him into vampires. That could have been the like more limits to like if you think there's gonna be a question about it, just don't do it. And with Alice, you get to really see her evolve as a character and realize that she's not that she has to be more than Bella's friend and Ella and uh Edward's brother and that she has to be something in between both.
0: In between both. Strike it from the record. Uh we'll bring in Boatman, who has one minute to close his argument when he starts talking.
4: Even as you talk about Alice just finding the vampire child, A, she's doing that with Jasper. So that's not really that. But and then that, that's revolved around Bella and Edward. Alice's whole identity is revolved around Bella and Edward. So no, she doesn't have a lot of agency within the story. Ultimately, Carlisle, as we see, even if his we are at a point where we're towards the end of his arc, we still, when we get those flashbacks, that's getting us the pieces because Carlisle's already a completed fully developed character but we still get those pieces of how did we get to where he was and that's what's so interesting about Carlisle is we do get the dichotomy and the moral intrigue and the complexity and it's not just oh should I should not I turn people into vampires? there is so much going on with Carlisle because he wants to be protective of Edward but he's also very curious he's also like uh, but I want my son to be with Bella and that's where there is so much moral intrigue Alice is just the friend Time. Okay.
0: Bring in the judges. You go there and you go there. Okay. Um, okay. We good, judges? Kirk, you need to go first on this one.
2: Okay. Um, I'd like to say nobody gets the point. Correct answer is none of the above. And Edward's also awful. Um, But I got to get somebody. Yeah, I think I went with Boatman. Um, I think Boatman just had the right – sometimes it was just the right answer and he had it. But you got to to defend it to it. He He just gave uh, so much more uh, as to not just – he gave both within the movie why he's a good character and also as a viewer watching what makes him a good character i think he hit hold both, both of those and um i just think joe had some stuff for alice um but i don't think he had as much material as, as boatman did to work with okay brian uh
1: i got out of tribute at the right time um i have not seen any of the twilight movies except the first one i think i saw once way back when and don't remember anything about it so i'm going purely by the arguments of these two people um and in the end Oh, it came down to the the basic closing argument, and I actually thought that Joe um, made a little better argument for the fact that his character had some evolution to where the character went, whereas uh, Colin was just kind of uh, they're the same person beginning and end.
0: Okay. Well, uh, unlike Brian, I've seen these movies a lot, and uh, uh, yeah, I think arg and a unlike kirk i think these are the two correct choices uh when i wrote the question these were the two that came to mind there's arguments for some of the other ones but i think that these were the two correct answers um i think that what kind of won it for me uh was one of the things that kirk actually brought up was like why as a viewer we like watching carlisle and his story but also in the moments of the movie like what carlisle doing overall is uh good and interesting and is, is a good character um i thought that joe had a lot of good stuff for alice but i think that as somebody who's seen these movies a lot there was a lot left on the table that alice does bring that wasn't brought up at all um so i i also went with Caleb Boatman, which means your winner by way of knockout, Caleb Boatman. So uh, we will start by talking to Joe. Joe, one of those days, man, Uh didn't go your way, but you played really well. You split the vote on two of the questions. How are you feeling? I mean, I'm feeling pretty...
3: I mean, like I'm feeling okay because uh, Bowman's a great competitor in whatever he does. So to even split the vote on two questions, uh, I'm very happy with that. I would have liked to have gotten at least one point overall, but to just being able to uh, get a vote off of Bowman's an accomplishment personally. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to see what he does uh, going forward in this title picture.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Joe, it was a pleasure having you. We'll see you again soon. Um, we'd love to have you back. Great job today. Let's bring in the winner, Caleb Boatman. Caleb uh, winning via KO. I believe I'm looking right now to find out if this is your first KO. Um, so how are you feeling about the uh, match, sir?
4: Good, good. Yeah, Joe did well. Um, I, I'll be honest. I, I feel like Alice was like the the correct answer, if I'm being honest. like I won it when that question was like, oh, man, he's going to take Alice and I'm not going to get Alice. So, uh, I, I, I'll I be honest, I did not expect to win that question, so I'm happy I did. Uh, but Joe, Joe fought great. Um, yeah, I, I'll be honest, did not. I, I fully expected us to be tied and have to go to speed rounds. So, I'm I'm happy this went there.
0: Joe's a great competitor. Yeah, so this does mean that you're going up against Robert Kastner. Uh, how do you feel about debating Kastner and uh, the rest of this picture? No comment. Okay, great. So, Boatman, uh, we'll see you soon with the next match. Uh, let's get final thoughts, starting with Brian.
1: Um, I will say that uh, although this match uh, it ended up being a knockout, I thought I enjoyed listening to both of them deb- debate, um, and I also think that uh, between the two of them combined is one of the most animated <laughs> debates with all the hands and. Yeah, it's, true. It's, I was getting dizzy just watching them debate, but uh, it was a lot of fun and uh, had fun watching. Uh, Kirk, uh, yeah, I don't
2: you. This is definitely the push your hair up bowl, <laughs> but uh, that's all right. Uh, they both. I mean, I voted for uh, Boatman once, but uh, or twice. Uh, but even the ones I voted against, Joe, he was so close. Um, you know, he there, he was he was just a few inches off. So um, I think it's closer than this final score is going to look. And I think Joe, um, you know, if he tightens up his game a little bit, can can do some damage here. But Casper's boatman is going to be interesting because they have uh, their their styles are going to uh, really going to clash. So I can't wait to see this.
0: All right, well that's going to do it for us today at Fan Zone Debate. We got another match in a couple weeks for you here. We have Adelaide Spence going up against Jacob E. West. Both of those uh, players in the negative column trying to get a win. On their records. And then we also have Richard Schwartz going up against Cody Newberry. So, Cody debuting earlier in the year, going up against Richard, who just beat Barr. So, it's going to be a good couple matches. And then we'll get to see the aforementioned uh, Robert versus Caleb. So, lots of fun stuff coming up. We'll see you real soon with the next matches. Until then, have a good one, ladies and gentlemen. There we go. Thank you very much.
3: Please come again. We have a lot more groceries.